Today's scripture reading is found in the 24th chapter of Joshua, verses 1 through 15. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for the heads, and their judges, and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river named Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterwards I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zeppor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Gergesites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or bow, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods of which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things when you're reading your Bible that can be really fun is to... Um, is to highlight, circle, if you've got a pencil, you can do this, circle the verbs. And so I'm just going to kind of go through with you, and I think this is very, very, very interesting that this passage was picked out. Here's what it says. You know, it says, Joshua said to all the people, you see there in the second paragraph, it says, um, this is what the Lord God of Israel said. So this is all God talking here, okay? It's God talking. Take a look at the verbs with me. 
Long ago, your ancestors lived. Now, when I say the word lived, it's not an action term per se. Lived. So you can maybe square lived, put it in a rectangle. And then um, they worshipped other gods. So another verb, they worshipped other gods. Not so good. You can square that. Now begins God. It says, and you can circle this one, I took. I took. The next verb, I gave. Next one, I gave. Next one, I gave. Next one, I assigned. Next one, this is Jacob, is they, they went. That's what they did. So, so far they've lived and they've went. Not really big deal, right? So we've got, you know, God's giving, God's assigning, God's doing all this stuff. The next, I sent. Next, I afflicted. God says, I did, I brought you out, I brought. And then you, well, you came. Not really much. No deliverance, no saving, no speaking. So you can square came. The rest of them, you just circle. Then, then it says, here's the, here's the most action word that the Israelites do. It says, they cried. Wow, that's all. They cried. And then they saw. Takes a lot of effort to see sometimes. No. And then it says, I, what I did. This is God saying, I did to the Egyptians. What did you do? Going back to the very first one, you lived. That's it. And then, then we've got a few more here. It says, I brought, again, I gave, I destroyed, God says. What did you do? You took possession. <laughs> God destroyed and he gives and then they just hold it. It's theirs. Now they have it. I would not listen, it says God. God says, I delivered you. And then what did you do? You crossed. That's it. You just walked across because I made a way. Then it says, I gave all these Hebrew names, I gave you them. I sent the hornet. And here's the thing, gang. You see this section where it says, you did not do it. He says it again. You did not toil. You, lit, you lived. You ate. And what you ate you did not plant. You didn't do it. I'll tell you what, over the last five years, if you did it, it wouldn't be what it is today. God did it. You did not do it, but God did it. And so we have to, we have to recognize that. And it's funny, you read this passage and some of you are probably sitting there going, is it over yet? Oh man, how do you say this? And look what's in it. Look what's in it. God is screaming, it's me, not you. It's me, not you. And as City Church moves forward, I, I can say that we don't know what God's going to do. Now, the next uh, couple verses here, it says, verse 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Worship beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. These are all second person. Fear, it's a command. Serve, throw away, serve. And then the, the next 
verse, the last one here is, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, which I think is a really weird phrase. Well, yeah, it's undesirable. Sometimes it's hard. Cross-reference this guy, Jesus, who we get our name after, the Christ, the Messiah, who died. Sometimes you don't feel like doing it. Sometimes you don't feel like serving. So, so what does that mean? The Lord seems undesirable to you? Well, I think two things. One, it says if it, uh, literally it says, um, if it's bad in your eye, it's bad in your eye, then choose. If it's bad in your eye, choose. Think about that. If something's bad in your eye, you choose. I love Psalm 37.4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Love it. Commit your way to him and he'll act. So oftentimes we think, okay, I delight myself in the Lord, then he's going to give me what I want. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, your delight becomes the Lord and he gives you the desires of your heart, which is himself. How cool is that? So if it's, if it's, if it's, undesirable to you, then choose. So if it's undesirable to you, well, you got to connect to God, then you're going to choose. And the whole thing and the rest of it is about, it's about, are you going to choose between idols or are you going to choose between God? Choose idols or God. Idols or God. That's what it is. And I think the, we haven't really changed all that much in thousands of years, have we? I want to look back at this verse and this very first sentence is what, what, what really is a highlight. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. We'll come back to it, but that is the, the bulk of it. And I'm going to sum it up into two, maybe three words. Melt wholehearted. I know it's a compound, so melt and hold hard. That's what we're going to talk about today. You guys ready? All right, let me pray. God, you're faithful. You're good. I've done a lot of planning, but God, I pray that you would help me to say what you want, whether it's what I planned or not, and that, God, you'd get glory, and we'd all worship you in this, that it wouldn't be just something that inspires us, but it's something that catapults us to just gaze upon your face and reflect on five years and to look forward to however many more, God, you choose to bring. Thanks, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. You mind if I... Um, Mind if I read you a little story? I brought one of my favorite books. Y'all know mine, right? So this book's called Halfway Herbert. I got this for Christmas a few years ago. Yes, I got this for Christmas a few years ago. It's written by uh, Francis Chan. Great, great book. And, um, oh, let me read it to you. So kiddos, look at the screen. You got a little book, okay? You, you connect them with me? You got it? You got it? You sure? You got it? You looking at it? All right, here we go. All right. Herbert Hallweg was seven and a half years old, three and a half feet tall, 55 and a half pounds heavy. He had lots of friends, but none of them called him Herbert. Instead, everyone called him halfway Herbert. Whoops. Sorry about that. This was not because his house was halfway in California. It was not because his dog was half bulldog and half poodle. You call that a boludle? I don't know what you call that. That's interesting. 
Sadly, 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 it was because Herbert did everything halfway. Halfway, Herbert never put his whole heart into anything. He never really tried. Something was missing in Halfway Herbert. Sorry, this is a little gross, but when Halfway Herbert brushed his teeth, he started at the top, but he was too lazy to finish the bottom. He spent a lot of time at the dentist's office. At school, Herbert did only half his homework, and he answered only half the questions on his test. That is an F, upside down, in case anybody was struggling there. It's not a good grade. Herbert never finished his meal, so he was always hungry halfway between lunch and dinner. He woke up hungry halfway through the night. Herbert was tired from getting only half the food and rest he needed. And, and then when Herbert played soccer, he listened to only half of what his coach told him. He really tried only half of the game. Herbert would have had more fun if he played with his whole heart, and I believe his team would have been happier too. One day, when Herbert went out to play, he tied the laces on only one shoe. He walked halfway up a big hill, hopped on his bike, started pedaling. He was going faster and faster when his shoelace got caught in the wheel. Herbert crashed straight into his dad's car. His bike was bent up. His leg was hurt. His dad's car was dented. Herbert knew he had made a mistake. When Herbert's dad saw him, he said, Herbert, do you know what happened to my car? Herbert didn't want to lie, but he didn't want to get in trouble. So he said, I didn't see anybody crash into your car, but it was only half the truth. Then the phone rang. I was just calling to ask if Herbert's all right, said Mr. Rugg, Herbert's next door neighbor. I saw him crash his bike into your car this morning and I thought he might have gotten hurt. In Greek, that's called busted. <laughs> Herbert tried to explain. I said I didn't see anyone crash into your car, and that's true. I had my eyes closed. Oh, sorry, my kids are reminding me. Thank you. I had my eyes closed. Herbert, you tricked me, his dad said sadly. Only telling half the truth is a whole lie. Mom and dad said, amen. <laughs> Herbert, uh, did a... Uh, and living your life just halfway isn't okay either. Jesus doesn't want us to love him halfway. God doesn't want us to live out of half our hearts. He tells us this in his Bible. And I'm going to leave you suspensed right there. And you can then buy the book. <laughs> Not my copy. It is, it's a great book. Um, it's a really great book. My kids really don't like whenever I call them Herbert. Doesn't go over too well. Speaking of my kids, I've got Caleb here. I've got Kenzie. Joy, as God brings us joy. And I do have the daughter that Mark named. He kept saying in seminary, you're gonna have a daughter someday and you're gonna name her Grace. So we did. Kate Karras. Karras, the Greek word for grace. My lovely wife of 16 years, uh, Sherry, yeah. Mark knows how amazing she must be. Amen, Amen is right.
So we're looking at Joshua, okay? We just went down the slide. Now we're going to kind of get, get working here, okay? We're looking at Joshua, and, and Joshua is promised to go from captivity and slavery from, from Egypt into the promised land. He's promised, but there's one other guy who's also promised. One other guy, and I think it's not fair because he really doesn't even get into Joshua's book until like the 14th chapter. How unfair is that? Only two people make it, and this guy takes a bit. Let's rewind a little bit. Numbers, no one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Two guys, they're the only two who are gonna make it. All these, uh, uh, Moses sent out spies, there were 12 spies, and they said, oh my goodness, these people called the Anakim, or Anakim, right? Not Darth Vader's thing. You can go there because they're bad guys. But the Anakim, they are huge. You trace in the Bible, they're like large people, like super large people. I went to Asia one time, I came back, and I thought I came back to the land of giants. Because in Asia, I was the Anakim. And then when I came back, I'm like, their people are so tall. That's what the Israelites were like. They looked and they saw these people like, there's no way we can defeat them. Except two guys listened to God and they said, no, we can. God's on our side. None of the other ten spies got to see the promised land, but these two did. And so, here we pick up in Joshua 14. Caleb's just telling his story. He's just telling us, talking to us. You need to pay careful attention to a couple words in here, and we'll get to it in just a second. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Joshua, the son of Jephunneh, Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. You know what he said? He said, I was four years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out, this is Caleb still speaking, to spy out, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. It was in my heart. When he saw those Anakim, he was like, no, 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 I can hang in there. But my brothers who went with me made the heart of the people, the Israelites, melt. Made them scared. Made them weak. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. So th this, this sentence here, I was reading through Joshua, and this, these two sentences caused me like three or four hours of study years ago when I was like doing my time with God, and I'm reading, I'm like, what is that? Made the people melt? Like, really? Of all the verbs you can use, melt? I thought, man, what's there? So I started looking up. I started looking up. Go, okay, well, where else is this? Well, if you look back at Deuteronomy, it says, where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. It was big, tall guys. The cities are great, fortified up to heaven, and besides, we have seen the sons of Anakin. Just because it sounds cooler to say Anakin, doesn't it? I mean, it's episode three, four. I'm talking to my son only right here. And then at the end, they get in, at the end, in Deuteronomy, they're giving instructions on how to pick soldiers. How do you pick guys to fight? And it says this, the officer shall speak further to the people and say, is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house. We don't want him. We don't want weak guys. I don't think you'd want to go into battle with somebody who's scared. Why? They might make his fellows 
the, make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. This is not uncommon, God using this language. And so, Joshua uses this idea too. In the beginning of Joshua, in chapter 2, he says, God did this in me. He says, I know the Lord has given you in the land that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And then they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and all the inhabitants of the land, they just melt away because of us, because of what God's doing in us. My, my favorite example of this is, is beautiful. It's Psalm 65. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. Just pause and think of 2017 and the rain we've got. Is that not God providing? I just saw uh, last year, I think there was 70 plus percent of California in the drought, and I looked at some drought page. Already 30 or 40 percent of that are out of the drought. That's God. And it's not raining today. Woohoo! At least yet. The river of God's full of water. You provide grain. For so you've prepared it. Your water is furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, melting. Some Bibles say softening, but the word is the same one used here. Melting with showers and blessing what? It's, say it with me, growth. Growth. When God melts in you, it gives the opportunity for growth to have. And I wouldn't doubt if either this season or one previously or one coming for City Church, God's melting things so that he can grow it. I'm sorry, and you're welcome. It's the nature of life as I've heard testimony given by many people already today. So we return this verse that got me. My brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, followed the Lord, my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. 85 years old? Seriously? Okay, just a brief word. Please don't tell me you're too old to serve the body of Christ. Please do not tell me you're too old. Your body might be weaker. Your mind might not be as sharp with things like math. But your wisdom is needed immensely. Immensely. Now, there's a caveat to that. Because it says in verse 11, he's, he, this is Caleb, man. He's a scrappy little old guy, you know? He's like, I'm as strong today as I was. And that day Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and coming and going. He's saying, bring it. Bring it. I'm going to take it. I, I, I got this. And, and even though your body's strength might not be what it was and your wisdom is far beyond what us young bucks can appreciate, you might not be the decision maker in the bodies in which you're a part. And sometimes you need to just share your wisdom and let it be what it may be. And that is hard. And it's real easy to sit back and go, I told you so. 
Don't say you can't contribute, but understand your role. Caleb, well, God promised him this. Of course, he gets the land. It says, so now, and he's kind of asking, kind of telling here. He knows that God promised it, and so he's saying to Joshua, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke. For you heard on that day how that Darth Vader's were there with the great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And now he gets it. And God, Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Here's where Hebron is, um, just south. Jerusalem's there uh, just a little bit north of it. That's kind of where it was. So it is a real place. It's a real place today. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And here's the why. Here's the big aha. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. That's why. Because he wholly, with his whole heart, followed God. So obviously I like Caleb. I got a son named Caleb. I wish I could say I was really um, brilliant at the time when I named him because uh, you know, I had this insightful wisdom about you know, what it meant. If you fast forward to the next book of the Bible, there's a guy named Gideon, and he is picking out people. And the people go um, to the water to drink. Certain people he's going to pick out for battle. And they go and they get on their hands and knees and they start lapping the water like dogs. And the verb for that is Caleb. So some people call Caleb faithful, like a dog. Faithful to his master. So that was my rationale. And my wife said, okay, fine. <laughs> she wanted to name the next boy, and I said, that's fine, and God bless us with two daughters. But as I looked here, I started recalling some of the stuff Mark and I learned in, I'm not going to test you or nothing, buddy. We learned in Hebrew. And it kept saying holy, like, like completely, like all of what you got. And I started going, wait, 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 wait. what's the word for all? all is, it's coal. This word for all is coal. And the word for heart is lave. Or Hebrew doesn't have vowels. It's so weird. So basically it was a bunch of consonants, and it was C-L-B, that's it. Those are the only three. And so putting them together, if you get it, you get whole heart. God named this person Caleb because he knew he would follow him with all his heart. Caleb lived Calebly. He lived into it, just like Joshua did, just like Moses did, and now Caleb did. He lived for God with his whole heart. I don't want to be too like, focused on behaviors, but sometimes it's like, hey, that's cool, Wes. Thanks for showing us what it means, big whoop. How do I do this? And so, so it's not to be like, too focused on behaviors and that somehow pleases God. I think our response to him is what we want to look at. And so I've got three things real quick that I believe can help us live wholeheartedly for God. The first one is uh, one word. It's uh, what 
uh, Eugene Peterson has termed this one word, and I'll get to it in a second, because Caleb, remember, if you know Caleb, he went out and he had to know what God was thinking to tell the people, yes, we can do this. He had to know God. He had to understand what it was that God wanted. And so, the word, number one, you can write it down, it's kind of long, how to live wholeheartedly, it's called prayer and Bible reading. It's one word. That's what Eugene Peterson says. If you don't like that word, fine. We can call it Bible reading and prayer. It's one word. There's no other way to connect with God than that. There is no other way. When's the last time you shared a verse that meant something to you with someone? When's the last time you read scripture with your significant other? Or prayed when it wasn't a mealtime? How do we connect with God without that? I don't know. I don't think we can. I really don't. Mark and I used to hate this author, and so I had to use this quote just to egg him on. But sometimes our prayers feel like this. This is a phenomenal quote by Frederick Buechner. It says, some prayers I hold out as far from me as my arm will reach, like the way a woman holds a dead mouse by the tail when she removes it from the kitchen. Did you ever pray like that? Hmm? Some, like flowers, are almost too beautiful to touch, and others so aflame that I'd be afraid of their setting on me, on, setting me on fire if I weren't already more like fire than I am like anything else. And that's not complimentary. That's like, Rrr! fire in an angry way. There are prayers of such power that you might almost say they carry me rather than the other way around. The way a bird with outstretched wings is carried higher and higher on the back of the wind. There are prayers so apologetic and shamefaced and half-hearted that they all but melt away in my grasp like sad little flakes of snow. Some prayers, frankly, are just very boring. And don't think of who you know. We need to connect with God. Oops. Sorry, I went ahead a little bit. We need to connect with God, and the only way we can do it is through this means. All right, second thing is live in Hebron. Second thing is live in Hebron. And Hebron, I mentioned to you where it was. Whoops, there we go. I mentioned to you where it was, but here's the thing. Abraham was buried there, Sarah was buried there, Jacob, Isaac was buried there, and then um, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's favorite wife, uh, Rachel, you would have thought she was buried there, but the ugly one was Leah. It's like, dude, why did you bury your ugly wife there? Like, well, the reason she did was because she had a kid named Judah who was in the line that led to Jesus the Christ. You might feel ugly, but God's using you. Feel ugly. You're not to God. Hebron, by the way, Hebron means this. It means friend, joined, coupled, allied. So why do we live in Hebron? What are you talking about? Today, today, Hebron is one of the most unsafe places in Israel. You don't go there. Muslims and Jews are not friendly there. It's kind of like you've got to stay out of certain areas of the city. You're like, you've got to stay out of Hebron because the Jews and the Muslims don't get along. So the place that means friend, joined, coupled, allied is not safe because people aren't being friends. 
Here's the deal. To live in Hebron means you gotta be around people. Part of living wholeheartedly is to be around people, not living by yourself in an island. And it's hard, and it's messy. People smell, they got bad attitudes, they take you to the wrong place for lunch, like sushi or something. Sometimes it's not a very friendly place. I got a lot to learn here, but the reality is this. You as a church are Hebron, which, as we recall, is the inheritance that Caleb got. Sometimes we think, you know, it's just me and Jesus, and I got a good relationship with God or something, and and you know what? You're like, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. It's cool. It's just us two. We're hanging out together. You're missing it. You're missing it. I don't think heaven is going to be just you and Jesus. The inheritance is a place where you're joined with people in all of the way God designed them to be, and you actually are designed to be. And you have this pure fellowship, this pure relationship, this pure Hebron where we can actually live how God intended. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Anybody else want to go there? But Jesus said the kingdom of God begins now. So if Jesus ushered the kingdom of God in now, Hebron has to start here and now. City Church, good for you for being a Hebron. May you continue to be that in the midst of the hard times, in the midst of garages that look like mine, not Gail's. Live in Hebron. The last thing is to let God melt what he needs to. It's easy to point out the reality of this. Yeah, we all need, you know, we all need help in this spiritually, right? Let me read a a quick quote. I don't say this to make you feel guilty. I just think it's really interesting. It says, in recent years, wealth has made us greedy and self-indulgence has led us through every form of sensual excess to be in pursuit of destruction. We know it's killing us, but we have not the strength of will to stop. This was said by a guy named Livy when Jesus was a teenager. 15 AD, he said this. Could have been written yesterday. Wow. Times don't change. It's still there, sensuality and, 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 and wealth and greediness. Times don't change. Jesus may have heard this when he was a teenager. Teenagers, listen, read. Sometimes we need to let things of this nature melt. Addictions, substance, technology, which can be addiction, flesh, gambling, unhealthy or codependent relationships, food, Facebook, Instagram, Let your social media fly away like a Snapchat video that will never be seen again. Super Bowl's a big time for us to live in in, in commuter day, and some of you guys are going, seriously, the dip is not going to be made in time. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. Some people might need to leave this room and say, I'm not going to that party because a relationship or something in your world needs to melt. 
It needs to melt. Now remember, God does the melting, but we've got to put ourselves in the fire to let it happen. It's not easy. My family, uh, almost a year ago, April 11th, we had a house fire, garage fire. That's one way to clean it out. (laughs) Sorry. We were in a hotel for four months. Free breakfast got old, well, how many days? Week? Never. (laughs) My wife says, (laughs) two weeks, my son says. So we were out of the house, and they've had to rebuild our house and, and, and stuff. I mean, we saw melting. You see plastic melting, it's amazing. And you're like, I can't break that stuff with my hands, and it just, it looks like water. Wow. I think God can do that to us and form us into something that is what he wants us to be, amen? But you're gonna have to set yourself up to be melted. Some here may feel like your marriages are melting. And sometimes that melting is melting it away so that it can be formed anew. And that's okay. It's not easy. Some may hear, need to, some here may need to melt of being right all the time. Because sometimes your right is holding you back from being righteous. And God, God says, be like me. And you got to let go of yourself. So think, think about all those times in the last week, wives, where you, you were right. And you were right. But which were really the best to go after? And kids, how many times this week were you right? And mom and dad, they had no clue as to what's going on. They, I'm right. You might just need to let it go. Be like Elsa. Let it go. Kids understand me. Some people are like, oh, man, this is good. This is good. Yeah, Wes, this is good. I got a family member who needs to hear this right now. I got, oh, I got a friend at work, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to download this portion, of, and I'm going to give him this CD. It's you. <laughs> if you're thinking of that, you got to look at Scripture like a mirror and allow yourself to go, okay, wait, 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 time out. Scripture's a mirror so you can see what you are like. Oh, by the way, this message is for me. I hope you guys are okay that I'm sharing it with you. That's hard. That's really hard. For some, this is the last group I think. God God wants to melt stuff in you, and you're hearing this, and you're like, yeah, Wes, I want to be there, but I got to be honest. Yeah, I want to be at that point, but I just don't want to be at that point. So in other words, I want to want to be there, I desire to be at a place where I want to seek God. Sometimes the best prayer, friends, is God, help me want you. That's hard. And yet it's okay to admit that you're not there. So if you're hearing my words and you're going, okay, yeah, I get it, but I just, nah, man, not today. Just say a simple prayer, God, help me want it. Because you can't even want it without him. So there's this church in Copenhagen, Denmark, and um, I think all of us need to approach the statue of Jesus. Long church, it's got this long walkway. 
And what's amazing is people always walk all the way up to it, and they go up to the altar, and they actually get on their knees, and they look up, because the church is designed and the statue is designed so that the only place you can see Jesus' eyes are if you're looking up on your knees. Some of us in here need to see Jesus' face. And it might be a long walk, but as you come down and you sit before the Father and you look up, as Pastor Nate said, it's going to be all right. (laughs) But sometimes that requires change. Sometimes that requires hard things. I believe that God came through Jesus in the flesh. He submitted to God the Father. He melted before God. He really did. He melted drops of blood the night before he was on the cross, and he said, God, I don't want to do this. He melted blood, and then the next day, he melts blood from his hands, from his feet, from the brow, this blood just melting down his face. For you and for me, because we've missed the mark, We know we're not perfect. Yeah, we're trying, but we know that we have separation from God. And Jesus says, look, come to me, get on your knees, look up on my eyes, know that I died for you. Now live wholeheartedly. Live wholeheartedly. 